You're listening to the Tilted Lawyer Podcast, a show that inspires the legally challenged to enter the courtroom armed with a plan. I'm Omar Serrato, owner of the Eagle Law Firm, experienced litigator, and the man you want to talk to before your big case. My co-host is Ileana Colon Rosa, owner of Colon Rosa Law, and a rising star in Southern California. Welcome, everybody. This is episode 18 of the Tilted Lawyer Podcast, and let's get right into it. Daryl Brooks, I think we have to ask the question of whether or not the judge in that case pitched a perfect game. Whether or not she um, sat as a judge and just performed a perfect trial. And as you guys remember, this was uh, Daryl Brooks, the sovereign citizen, the guy that doesn't accept value for value in return and challenges subject matter jurisdiction, who uh, ran over um, 76 people killing six, including little eight-year-old Jackson Sparks. And um, he was sentenced yesterday to uh, six consecutive life sentences, um, including all of the other remaining counts, uh, multiplied by 17 and a half years with the enhancers for a total of over 1,000 years of in prison. And we were talking a lot about the conduct of the judge in the Parkland case versus the conduct of the judge here in the Waukesha case. And uh, Judge DeRoe, I don't know, did you guys get a chance to see any of the... Um, sentencing hearing impact statements or the uh, this judge in general no i didn't see any impact statements all i saw was him with a piece of paper like fan in his face while the judge would say like please take me seriously and he just kept like doing it and doing it and doing it well um he they moved for they moved fairly quickly in this case to get through the uh, sentencing. I feel like I'm so low in my chair. Like, I don't know. I'm adjusting. I'm adjusting to these new settings. I don't know if it's the lights. I don't know if it's uh, just the whole. It's a whatever. different environment. It's yeah. It's, it's I feel different. like so like I'm on fire. I yeah. mean, there's the candle behind me, but um, I, I just feel like claustrophobic. <laughs> I'm adjusting. Give me a little bit of time. Um, but for Daryl Brooks, um, this young man, I say young man because he's 40 years old, uh, is never again uh, going to see the light of day as a free man. He is... Um, He's going to die in prison. Going to die in prison. Just stating it like a fact. The facts that Basically. came out in this case uh, with what he did to his girlfriend and you know his pursuit of her and how I think the judge, she made some remarks about if um, Nicholas Cruz and that other gentleman that intervened prior to him stepping in that red SUV and mowing down all of those people in Waukesha County at the Christmas parade. Um, She opined that that young lady was in danger as in he might, he may well have killed her the Mm -hmm. way that he was going on. I mean, punching her in the face with the closed fist. He tried to run her over with the car um, causing, um, you know, substantial injuries and, uh, he 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 has a pending case for domestic violence and assault and battery and attempted murder. Um, in that case, that there was a pretrial hearing in, and we're going to get to see a, a little bit of that footage. Um, so even though he's been sentenced, this there's still the case pending, and that's still going to go through. Well, let's let's look at it from this perspective. Uh, Jocelyn, who is not an attorney, so people in the comments, <laughs> please please leave little Jocelyn alone. These are you know. This is the the TLP crew. This is my staff. Yeah. They are not attorneys. So their opinions are those of, of lay people. They got some heat in the comments uh, for not having a good legal analysis of some of the issues, but they're not expected to do that. 
as they are just regular folks just like you um, and everybody else. I am the only attorney. There's only room for one attorney in this place. Well, two. Well, there's um, two. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, because today she's not with us. Yeah. And so for right now, it's just me. Um, and Ileana will be rejoining us um, in the near future. But as for this case, <coughs> they had, getting back to your question, He's just been sentenced to over a thousand years of prison. We already know that there's no chance he's ever going to see the light of day as a free man. Yet he has this other case um, involving his girlfriend who was victimized by him for his violent outburst against her. Put yourself in her position. Imagine that you were the victim of somebody that did something, such a thing, right? She has her own um, ideas of, you know, wanting to feel justice in her case. And yeah, that guy has been convicted. Yeah. But she wants her day in court, and she's entitled to it. She doesn't have to. She doesn't have to pursue it. And matter of fact, oftentimes the district attorneys in these kinds of cases will speak to the victims. Do you want to go forward? Do you want to sit in front of this guy? As she already did. She sat there and she testified in the trial in the Waukesha case because, of course, she was involved in that altercation with him uh, prior to him entering the red SUV and running over all those people. She got up and she faced her abuser. She took an oath and uh, she gave testimony and uh, she looked him dead in the eye and she told the truth in that case. She wants to have the opportunity to do it with what's with respect to what's happened to her. She wants to seek her own justice, her own justice. And oh, her story is coming out. And we're going to we're going to talk about that in in the in the not so distant future. But Daryl Brooks, if you didn't know anything about this, uh, this parade, you know, Maybe you thought that his SUV really did malfunction in the brake feature. You know, he couldn't stop and he accidentally mowed over 76 people. Maybe you think that he had some mental health issues and isn't deserving of empathy. Dilbert Books has been a bad guy for a really long time. Um, registered sex offender, yeah. uh, violent criminal uh, many times over, and he's gonna, he belongs in prison. You're going to hear some of the comments from the judge as she's reading over his rap sheet about the kind of guy that this is. And he had his opportunity yesterday. Now, victim impact statements are one part of a sentencing hearing. There's the other part where are there mitigating circumstances to why I shouldn't impose the harshest of all sentences against you in this case? And Daryl Brooks representing himself, did his best. He spoke for two hours in that case. And uh, largely what he said, he offered a mild apology for maybe two minutes. I'm really sorry for what I did. I can't go back and, and, and do and take it back. You know, it is, I apologize. And uh, to all of those families. And then he started talking about What did the other hours consist of? Oh, exactly. Exactly my (laughs) point. Because I sat here in this office as I was trying to work and do other stuff, waiting for him to say something of of any value. And it was maddening because he just kept on circling back uh, to trying to garner sympathy (laughs) for himself. Did he build another fort with his discovery? (laughs) No, he didn't build a fort with his discovery, but he did get kicked out of the courtroom again. Oh, again. Okay. Imagine. Shocking. So you are trying to appeal to the judge for leniency. Your Honor, I apologize for what I did. I am a monster. And here I stand before you with nothing to defend myself other than pure and utter sorrow and remorse for what I did to those victims. See, that's what I would imagine for like the entire two hours. That is what a defense attorney is supposed to do, right? He, 
was his own attorney. Oh, that's right. So I would not have let him speak. I mean, of course, I can't control if he speaks or not. If he wants to speak, he's going to speak. But I would have offered my own. And this is what I bring up Clarence Darrell a lot um, on this show. And part of that is because his best work as an attorney, going back in the early uh, 1900s, late 1800s is when he was a practicing attorney. But his most famous cases are death penalty cases where he spared the lives of disenfranchised, disenfranchised youths who committed heinous acts of murder and other things deserving of the death penalty under the laws of the state back then. And he would go and he would for, you know, hours on end talk about their upbringing and how, you know, they started off as a child and, you know, he played his first baseball game when he was six years old and he had these dreams that he wanted to be a shortstop for the New York Yankees. And he, every single day he would go outside and practice and work on a swing and, wait for his father to come home so that he could work on, you know, his skills to become someday a professional baseball player. But sadly, rather than coming home to play with his son, his father would go home and beat on his mother and then beat on him. And then he would wonder why he wasn't good enough for his dad to go work on his baseball game with him. That kind of stuff, you know, two hours of that, you know, you're painting a picture, you're exposing what this person went through. Mm -hmm. You're taking... Not the, you're not taking focus off of the victims, but you're painting the picture of this could have been any of us. Could have been. And he got a bad yeah. deck and um, it led him to what he did. He's going to go to jail for the rest of his life, but could he die? Or is there some re- something redeemable mm-hmm. in him that we might spare his life so that he could do some good on the inside? Because he's never, he's already going to be locked up. You know, do we just kill him now or should we give him a chance to at least live out his days in prison? That was what Clarence Darrow would do. That's what defense attorneys have done. I've had to do those uh, kinds of statements in the past. Um, Please forgive my client. Um, Yes, he did these very heinous actions, um, but he's he's had a rough time, you know. Um, Had it gone a different way, he could have been something greater. And so I'm asking for leniency, not on his behalf, but just because as a society, I think there's some value to be derived from this man who did something so terrible. Um, uh, there was a, this guy that was executed, I want to say 10 years ago, he was, um, he was from the Bloods and the Crips, this gangster, um, convicted, a he was a multiple convicted murderer. He was on death row, but he rehabilitated himself while on death row and he would write child's books and, mm-hmm. um, gosh, his name escapes mm-hmm. me, um, <clears throat> I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking it's like Tuco or something like that, but that's Breaking Bad. It's not Tuco. <laughs> it's like, um, I forget his name, but he was executed. But in the midst of his stay in death row, he wrote child's books to help uh, children uh, with their self-esteem. And he tried to do some good before he's ultimately executed by lethal injection. Yeah. And so that's the kind of arguments that you make. But you don't sit up here and say he literally attacked the judge. He attacked the prosecutor. Let her say, hey, As he's been doing the whole time, yeah. I respect you. But I will never forgive you for how you went about it. And to be honest with you, you're not all that bright. And he was literally Jesus. going on about that. Oh, my God. During the victim impact statements, I mean, he was, remember uh, Nicholas Cruz, how he would sit there in his chair and just blankly kind of yeah. stare off like he was the that joker. stare, yeah. Yeah, but he wouldn't deviate from that. You know why? Because his, his attorney said, hey, I don't care what happens. I don't care how bad it pisses you off. You're not going to do or show or say anything 
other than empathy for these victims. You're going to yeah. sit there and be quiet. If you can't think of anything, you stay perfectly still. And I suspect it's why he appeared to be so robotic when they were going through the impact statements. Dale Brooks was sitting there by himself. And so his first instinct when he's challenged like that is to... He acts out mm -hmm. physically. He tries to stare. He was rolling his eyes at some of the victims. He was pounding his chest. He was fake applauding their uh, speeches. And, you know, these are people that are getting up there to talk about their mother that was murdered or about their eight-year-old son that was murdered. Children getting up on the witness stand to uh, talk about how he impacted their childhood and how they missed their grandma, they missed their brother, um, they missed their dad. And... The judge is seeing all of this. This is her portion of the case. This is her opportunity to say what she has to say. <clears throat> so she's watching him very carefully and, and full view of her. I mean, she's not missing anything. I got to tell you, this judge um, in this case was one of the sharpest, um, most empathetic yeah. uh, bulldogs of a judge I've ever seen. This trial, I've seen a lot of trials in person. I've had my own trials. Um, this performance by this judge, I started off the show think, um, ex thinking that she may have just uh, pitched a perfect game, performed the absolute perfect uh, trial from a judicial standpoint that she could have. She avoided any kind of appeal that this guy may have conceivably had. Um, she was outright uh, defiant in the people's call to hold him in contempt or kick him out or do all of the stuff because she wanted to make absolutely sure that his constitutional rights, that he had op every opportunity to exercise them. And if he was going to not exercise them, he, she was trying to get him to waive those rights. And all right, well, then you're going to get kicked out of the next room. She tried so, so hard uh, to make sure that they had no opportunity to break this case because that was this guy's only hope. His only objective, it seemed, in hearing his defense because he did not have a cogent plan. He had no idea how to question those witnesses. He didn't know what to do on cross-examination. He didn't know what to do on direct examination. He didn't know how to give an opening statement, didn't know how to do a closing statement, and he didn't know what to focus on in any of these things, let alone um, his appeals to the judge about why she should have mercy on him in this case. Basically a perfect example of why you don't represent yourself. <laughs> oh, I've never seen it go well. Yeah. I've never, in a criminal arena, I've never seen it go well. And family law, I've seen it go, I mean, family law is different. There's a lot of people who represent themselves. But in a criminal arena, it's always a bad look. Yeah, no. I've never seen it even done remotely well. Even by people that you would perceive to be intelligent or um, have the aptitude to do such a thing. <coughs> I bring up the, I've, I've talked about, who's that serial killer? The one guy. Um, Ted? Ted. Bundy. Oh yeah. I was just gonna talk about him. Like he was a law student. Mm -hmm. He was representing himself and he looked awfully bad. Yeah. And he was a law student. Yeah. Now it's portrayed as a civil person, somebody that has nothing to do with the law or any law knowledge like from school. I think that when you find a lot of people representing themselves, a lot of their performance is affected by what they see on TV. Oh definitely. They see I know like Judge that. Judy or something. Because <laughs> or when, Harvey I, Specter. Yeah. when I was in law school and I was on the mock trial team, everything I knew about what I wanted to be an attorney was from the movies. Yeah, that's where you get your knowledge from. And so I put on my Matthew McConaughey and, you know, I did my... You did the accent too? I may or may not have done the accent. <laughs> I don't know if I did or not. But I got, I got slammed so hard for A, dick, 
you you want want to tone this down. Yeah. You got several objectives. Get to the point. Nobody wants to hear your fluffy language, your flowery language. Nobody wants to see you perform, which there is an aspect of performance. Yes. But you have to have permission from the audience to perform. You're not just going to walk in there and people are going to be sitting there captivated by your brilliance and your charisma. I mean, there's attorneys out there that try to do that. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, I believe that jurors take their jobs seriously. Yeah. And they're objective is to administer justice. And yeah, you might be the one with the shiny suit and the slick language and, you know, the legalese, but the jurors are going to trust the person that makes the most sense in the yeah. courtroom. And if that's not you, you're going to lose your case. I don't care how good you look. I don't care um, how charismatic you are. Um, people are a little smarter than that. We're more sophisticated than that, especially in 2022 going into 23. Did you just quote Jerry Spence? Did I call Jerry? Did I do what? You just quoted Win Your Case, the book. Oh, no, but that's one of Jerry Spence's, um, that's one of his tenets. Yes. Um, and you know what? He's not the only person I've heard that from. You spoke to um, one of my former professors. Um, you yes, don't have I to did. Name him, you know, because you had a, a very big interview as of recently. And uh, one of uh, my personal um, favorite uh, law school professors um, said the exact same thing when he was, when he was, um, litigating cases and I forget where he went to law school. Um, I don't have to name it, but his, his point was the same. He would go in there and he would argue a contracts case and he would be intimidated because he's going up against this, you know, million dollar law firm with all of their shiny attorneys and showing up with five associates and, you know, buckets full of evidence and um, wheeling in all of their files and a wheelbarrow. And here he is just this guy quoting from the UCC and, you know, all of the guts and fervor of a guy that, you know, doesn't know what he's going up against. And, um, you know, and here they are in their shiny slick suits and they're trying to, you know, get one over on the judge and they're trying to present their case. And they think that they have it because of the mere presentation. And he, with all, with everything that he had, got up there believing in his case and simply quoted um, with all of the conviction from his preparation and his belief in his client's case that, he was the one that should prevail and he did. Mm -hmm. And he learned a very valuable lesson. He was the first person I actually learned that idea from Jerry Spence. I learned about him more when I was in throes of mock trial. You know, he was, he was one of the big famous trial attorneys that we would try to study from and they would have others that would come in. But the theory, not the theory, the, um, the strategy to try to go in there and woo over win over the courtroom with uh, your brilliance without having permission from the audience to do that is a losing strategy. It's like with children, like they can sense when you're, you know, lying or being dishonest. And it's the same thing with people. They know when you're bullshitting, you know, excuse my language, but you don't have to apologize on this show. <laughs> you might have to apologize truth. to my mom, yeah. but you're going to apologize to me. <laughs> um, what was that, Melissa? Nothing that that's the fair truth. And coming back to the point about, Everything we see or hear about the law is from TV. I actually had that conversation with one of my um, high school classmates. He, jo he just got a job here in California in a mm -hmm. personal injury law in Newport Beach. And um, he was actually talking to me about what it was. He wanted me to talk to him about what it was like working for a firm here in California. Because he had a year ago, he had um, interviewed for a firm in Florida. But unfortunately, he didn't get the job. For this one, he did. And he was like, I want you to talk to me a little bit about how is it working in an actual firm in the United States? And I was like, 
the first thing you need to know, this is not suits. This is not how to get away with murder. This is not legally blonde. And I could just keep going. I love those movies. I love those shows. I'm going to point that out because no. I do. I'm a hardcore fan of Elle Woods, okay? But we need to be, there needs, we need to be real. Yeah. We need to have our feet on the ground. It's, it's nothing like that. No. Like maybe three to 4% of the little chim smash every now and then but it's not 100%. yeah no I it's not show suits imagine like every time i write a motion i'm going to walk into opposing counsel's office and here you go whoosh, see i've never seen the, a the motion episode. on their desk that's harvey oh Spender. it is so it is so just over the top but ridiculous. i did watch how to get away with murder and that one was insane to me i was like this is what lawyers go through i like, didn't get <laughs> as into that show as suits but i did watch suits better call saul is my go-to oh yeah better call saul that's another yeah, one scandal one this is one's of the ogs to be honest with you it's a better representation of what laws actually like coming up as a is a lawyer as a new practicing attorney, that's more close to what it's actually like, you know, having to get your foot and bust your ass because you don't know any better. You oh, don't it would know be so to interesting anything. to see lawyers like take on what's like the most realistic TV show or movie out there. Actually, yes. Yeah. Doctors have done it yeah. with medical dramas and they have listed the good doctors as the number one. It will be really fun to just see yes. as an attorney's perspective. I'd have which to watch a lot be? more TV yeah. right now. The only one I know is Better Call Saul and Suits. <laughs> like I don't know any do other like words rating, than that. You know, you can just say yeah. this Which was the worst yeah. and which was like the best, yeah. the most Suits accurate. terrible. I wish I had an office up there and then like it was in all about that guy's in a suit all of the time. All of the time. Like he wakes up in a Suit. He's like, it's like 11 o'clock at night. He's still in his office wearing a suit. That's horrible. As yes. soon as I get back to the office, I'm trying to change out of my suit because I hate it so much. Donna's in heels from like 8 a.m. to midnight, no. something like that. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, it's just the over the top drama soap opera stuff. And oh. it's part of the show. Well, you got to entertain folks. We need to folks. put on a show. Uh, exactly. Getting back to uh, Daryl Brooks, I think that we should uh, take a look. Okay, so. Getting back to the sentencing portion of this. So he, I want to show you a, por a portion of the uh, victim impact statements, him rolling his eyes at some of the uh, people. Okay, so this gentleman gets up on to do a, a victim impact statement. We're going to take a look at some of the video here. And he's literally rolling his eyes while this guy is sp spilling out his heart. Kenny, there we go. A loving and devoted grandmother to six. Mother to three, sister to three. So anyway, I don't, I don't want to play because we don't have a whole lot of time, but this guy is giving an impact statement and then just watch his reaction while he's sitting there. And the entire Waukesha District Attorney's team for ensuring so Mr. Done. Brooks would not escape the consequences of his despicable actions. He's looking at him like he's pissed I love off how him. he's Thank dressed in orange. Yeah. <laughs> what's going on? Detective Casey came to my dad's house in the early morning hours oh on November 22nd. He just did it. To deliver oh the heart-wrenching confirmation. And then this goes on for a little bit. And then just this look of utter disdain for the victim. This is a victim. He's yeah. supposed to sit there. He could have been, he would have done better sitting there just like Nicholas Cruz. Yep, just is a blank stare. Stupid look on his face. But I want to thank the first responders stuff. and medical personnel at the parade who rendered aid to the injured and attempted to save my mother's life that night. And a nurse that we met at the memorial one night. But again, I would say that's another example of why you really need a legal team behind yes. you if you're facing one of the circumstances. Well, yeah, because, I mean, experience goes a long way in these kinds of things. But just look at his mannerisms and the judges seeing my all of these of things. Justice. As Mr. Brooks droned on about where the plaintiff oh was in this case. 
Wait, Who is the he in cuffs? Was in this case. Yeah. Ah, okay. There's no reason You've to hide heard. anymore. Yeah. There are many no plaintiffs put him here. In a suit. I'm here right now. I've been here all along. She's going to be wearing that for a while. <laughs> and now he gets to hear from me and from many other plaintiffs before this day is over. He is simply a... And I'll speed through that, but yeah. <laughs> oh my God. He continued to allow him to drive it and enabled his violence I'm simply trying to highlight his mannerisms. I know the, the victim impact statement. The other is John Chisholm. My God. The Milwaukee County District Attorney. Rocking back Who's misguided chair, and ill-conceived bail reform eyes. policies. Let a violent, multi-convicted felon back into our community and onto our streets <laughs> while already out on bail from a previous bailiff, violent way. felony. Mr. Chisholm disregarded his duty to keep the people of this community and state safe. These were my two favorite impact statements, by the way. I'm not going to play the whole thing. I just want you to catch, you know, when he's like uh, almost mocking the victims. On November 21st, you killed my mother. And in this courtroom, I watched you run her down and her broken body slide across the concrete. This woman loved and she was loved. You ran her down like she was nothing. And since that day, you have shown no remorse. You'd offered no explanation for your atrocities. It offends me that you're sitting here breathing while she is not. You are a monster. You deserve contempt and death. Sadly, with no death penalty in this state, I can only hope they lock you away someplace so deep the rats chew on your fingers at night. Oh my God. As for me, this will never fair. be over until the day I'm pissing on your grave. <laughs> I think it would be fair to say that for your crimes, even God hates you. Oh my God. <gasps> wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Wow. I don't know what that means, by the way, but I, he's basically... He's basically just mocking him, yeah. B. Now, is there any sense of rehabilitation, do you think, in this guy? Because um, he shows no remorse. Thank the court. No. Uh, no, you, right. Your Honor, and your staff for getting us here today. I don't know how you did. Uh, you kept us under four weeks. This guy's and, trying to call uh, him out. He speaks for a up. while. I'm just going to take it to the end because he calls him out for like rolling his eyes at everybody. You know, well, you know what? If I was him, I'd probably get tired of listening to people so like say that. the same things over and over and, uh, again. If I could yeah. thank as morbid as it sounds. Table. Mom, Lee Owen. And I wasn't always a good son. I could be selfish oh sometimes. I could be mean. Just keep it to himself. Oh my God. Or stand off he can't control himself. She would bend over backwards for me. Even when I didn't deserve it. My camera turned off again? And now I can never tell her I'm sorry. I can never I tell her I should have been more grateful. I can never tell her how much I need her in my life. Yeah, shake your head. Shake your head. You know, because that is what you took from me. And there's, there's nothing this court can do that would provide justice in my eyes. So all I ask is that you rot, and you rot slow. He just looks so tired of everything. I mean, everybody's kind of tired of yeah. all of his bullshit. If you think about it, it's been a long time running. These judges... Um, do this for their career, for their profession. Yep. This is not Judge Doro's first sentencing hearing. It's not the first time she's had to deal with victim impact statements. It's not the first time she's been confronted with an evil defendant such as Daryl Brooks. She understands, because she worked as a criminal defense attorney, what evil looks like, what true sorrow, empathy, remorse looks like. And she knows when someone's putting on a show and you get really good at that, especially as a defense attorney, because you kind of get a feeling for 
when people are trying to put you on because they want you to believe whatever they want you to believe and whether or not they're truly sorry, they just really want you to get their case dismissed because, you know, they got to move on with life. And I've, I've dealt with some really bad ones. And, um, everything that this guy did from his mannerisms to the ways that he speak, listen to this exchange right after those two witnesses, those two uh, victims came in and speak, spoke, he raises an objection and he blows up at the judge. Oh wait, this is the wrong video. So do you think your bullshit radar, like, <laughs> oh, you, you just, you know, ask me how high it is. I would say it's, um, at, from what, what's the scale? Yeah. Like from like one to 10, you Let's know, you probably 10. couldn't sense 12, 12, <laughs> 15, maybe. <laughs> 20 call it 20 <laughs> yeah but uh, that's years of experience yeah, like he just of said course. demand removal under illinois versus allen demand anything no you conducted so you can sit didn't man anything either what is he even Francis saying Brooks, please sit changing. down you keep changing and i'm going to continue i don't even know what this objection was about no, it was I an objection as to something Jurisdiction, it's a subject matter jurisdiction that has yet to be proven on the He's record. still bringing that up. Yeah. Wow. Mr. Brooks, and in this one. And he's an orange, so it's like, like over. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's done. Not he's a shackled. To you. If you'd like to specifically waive your right to be physically <laughs> present, then I will entertain that. Otherwise, never, you need to sit down. I never waived to, I never I waived don't know the right how to she not did be it. present. That's because you to, forfeited your right I to be present by conduct. You're now back in this courtroom. Your Honor, I wrote three. I did what you asked me to do. You, you said, never once pledged to me, sir, that no, you would not interrupt. And you, you're demonstrating by being here that you continue to interrupt. Man, I ain't trying to hear all that. Because at the end of the day, I did what you asked me to do. You told That's me, the judge is going to be administering the sentence. Brooks, this is not a debate. In a couple hours. It's not a debate. You asked to come over here, and I honored that, well, I, and I, I exercised my right three times. I shouldn't have had to do it three times. None of those opportunities that you wrote to me said, I pledge. Not I've never had to do that before. You've never, you've never required that before. That is actually not true. Sir. You've <laughs> never required that before. Every <laughs> single time that I've she been required that every here, single time. You got a pleasure. You're gonna behave like a good little boy. He really has such a different perspective sometimes of what went down during this. <laughs> you are just simply trying to delay the inevitable. I'm, I'm, Please yeah. sit down. I don't care about the inevitable. I, it was I already written from day one what was gonna happen. It doesn't make me lose any sleep about that. I know I'm okay. I'm okay with everything. Then please I just sit want to down. Be, I just want to be treated fairly, which please, I have not been. Please sit down. And then you, Your Honor, and then you Mr. always make it seem this is like not a you debate. always make it seem like it's some type of aim, and it's not. Please sit down. We're talking about constitutional rights. You just told me, or you told the bailiff to tell me that I had the right mm -hmm. to exercise a right that I should already have. I did that, not once, not twice, three times. And it still wasn't honored. And then I, I raised this sign. I'm, I'm Brooks, waving this for like 20 minutes. Saying I would, want, I would want to come back. I'm you doing this. You're here now. Can I come back? Can I come back? Can so I come sit back? Down. It wasn't honored. And then I, had, so I, I said, can okay, finish. I'll write this. And I'll see if your honor can see it on the screen. The objection sign saying, Mr. I've Brooks, exercised my right to be present. If you stop for a minute, have the order of the court. I'll explain it, but you have to stop I'm, so I'm I can explain it. Your Honor, you've never, I did what you asked me to do. What she asked him to do was to make a pledge that he was going to behave and be quiet and, and allow the, the proceedings to continue. Well, obviously he's and not. And he just said what his objection was, <laughs> yeah. I want to exercise my right to go in there, which is not the same as a pledge. No. And I think she was on, I remember hearing her on record saying, oh, that's not, that's not a pledge. And so that's what this is all about. To do. Actually not. Yes. Let me explain. And if, if I you would like. If I didn't, Your Honor, 
if I did not do what you asked me to do, then why did I? Why was I allowed to come back if I did not do what you asked me? Because to do? I'm frankly going to a <laughs> very distinct portion of this hearing where I am going to impose sentence. Okay, that doesn't answer that the question. Though, matters. That doesn't answer the question. Please sit down, and I will explain. Be such a satisfying and end to all of this. Without interrupting yeah. me. With all due respect. That doesn't mean you're respecting me, so please sit down. With all due respect. She's completely right. Because every time that I've been brought over there in the past, Mr. Brooks, you always stated, I don't need a history lesson of what I've done. That when I exercise my right to be present, Untrue. you Untrue. always said Untrue. we have the record. We have the record. It's like you can't communicate can with this the guy. No. Mr. Brooks, like no matter I, what I know you what say. You, I know what the requirement was. He goes on. I mean, I don't have to subject you guys to all of this. It ends with him. Uh, let's see. Brooks. What's he doing now? Your Honor, as a public Mr. servant, <laughs> I have a right to ask questions. Start, right? I'm going to ask you one more time, and if you refuse to sit down, then you are in direct disobedience of a court order. Sit that down and be quiet so I can make the appropriate can record. You, can you tell me what the, um, the court right, order he's is? He's not going to obey. He's now forfeiting I did, I his right to be present. Obey. He will go into the other courtroom. I didn't say I wasn't going to obey. We'll be in recess until the he's there. God, man. Oh my God. You guys give me a headache. I couldn't quite see her abdomen, but I don't know where we read in the past that I think she did this entire trial where she was pregnant. <laughs> that woman... Yeah, which by the way, I don't, I know, I know I read this somewhere. I'm not sure. I haven't confirmed if she's actually pregnant, but I, I thought I read somewhere that she was during the trial, which means obviously she's still pregnant now. Which is crazy. That is. But I'm um, pregnant or not. Jesus. That put patience. Up with that guy. Yeah. You're talking to a wall. You really are. Because no matter what he says, it just, it just doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. It's like so talking to a wall. when he got a chance yeah. to speak, so this was during the impact statements. Now he has a chance to offer mitigating circumstances to why the judge should impose, um, impose the harshest of penalties. And this is where he finally apo uh, apologizes to the victims. This is what he had to say. Each and every victim in this incident, family members, those who lost loved ones, those who are still healing. I want you to know that no matter how you felt during this, this year, uh, no matter how you felt yesterday, I want everyone to know, also the community of Waukesha, I want you to know that not only am I sorry for what happened, I'm sorry that you could not see what's truly in my heart, that you cannot see. Right here, this was the one time <clears throat> where I think you could see the judge kind of leaning in her chair. She was looking for this. This is specifically what she wanted to see. He starts to say it what's really in my heart. And then he proceeds to say what's really in his heart. And then it was this. The remorse that I have, that you cannot <clears throat> listen to all the phone calls that I've made to my family, that you cannot hear all the prayers that I've said in my cell, that you cannot count all the tears that I've dropped in this year. 
What's your bullshit meter at? <laughs> I mean, it's been off the charts from the beginning, but a lot of times. You're not sorry. You're sorry to get caught. Mm-hmm. I'm not very old uh, by age standards, but I've I've been alive long enough to understand that a lot of people are comfortable with hearing what they want to hear being told what they wanted what they want to be told so that was the extent of the apology apologies over and now he goes on another two hours of rambling and what it was was uh, his mom actually came in to try to speak for him his grandmother also came in to speak for him his mom was um she made a statement about the perils of um mental illness i guess that he was diagnosed as bipolar earlier in life in that you know we should uh look you know, not forgive him completely for what he did, but let's not just throw him away and have some compassion for those that are mentally ill. And his grandmother, who I guess is an ordained minister, she claimed to have been for uh, 46, 47 years or something like that, um, got in to say something similar. And <sighs> Something about the, the mothers of sons who commit like heinous <clears throat> acts just doesn't ever sit right with me what they say. Like, Ted Bundy's mom, I think, still doesn't believe that he committed those atrocities. Well... I, you know, as a, being a parent, um, if one of my children did something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I couldn't, did you see the interview with, um, the guy that murdered his wife and threw his children in the oil tankers? I think so. Yeah. What was his name? What was his name? Forget that guy's I know who you're talking about. Yeah. (coughs) He was being interrogated by the police and then he goes on to, um, you know what? I got to find his name. I, I can't. It's going to bother me. Girls, I hope this is a red flag that if you ever have a man doing something wrong and then having his mom, like, excuse him yeah. for him. Drop that. Like, oh, it's not, it's not like him. Um, it's, he's different. He's going to change. He's Trust him. Change. No. Nah, it's, it's just, it's just, it gives me a weird feeling. Every Run time. for your life. Yeah. Every time their mothers get involved, I'm like, hmm. Chris Watts. Christopher Watts. Yes, Christopher Watts. Watts. Okay, so Christopher Watts, during his interrogation, they interrogated him for a while, and they got to the point where he had failed his his test, his- um, Lie detector? Lie detector test. Mm -hmm. And uh, they brought brought in his father to talk to him at his request. And this is, you know, dad. And uh, this is, he's looking at his son who is now, has now confessed to a murder. Yeah. What Christopher Watts tried to tell him was a line of bullshit, which is, oh, I did it because she killed the kids. And so I didn't know what to do. So I freaked out and I strangled her. That's what he tried to start saying, you know. And so his dad is sitting there and this is his little boy. And his dad looked probably approaching 60, you know. Um, what do you do when your your child does something like that? How are you supposed to act? What are you supposed to say? What are you supposed to think? Because <clears throat> they've done this. There's no going back on it. And um, you see him almost in a state of disbelief at hearing that his son tell him that he just killed his wife. And uh, the the realization of that, your grandchildren are dead, your daughter-in-law is dead, Mm -hmm. and your son did it. Even though his son is trying to say that his wife is the one that killed the children. He knew that was all bullshit. I, I feel like he did. And then you saw him at the sentencing hearing. And if my child would have done something like that, I mean, you raise this child from birth, you see them go to school, you grow up and you see them at their absolute best. Do you think it's like a coping mechanism in a way? To do what? To sort of 
believe the unbelievable in in the term of like he didn't okay maybe he didn't do it maybe his wife did kill those kids uh i don't think that daryl brooks mom she didn't say that he didn't no. do it no no no, no, yeah. no. <coughs> for his dad i'm not sure what coping mechanism he had it's it's almost like um you did this yeah it's almost like that movie Goodfellas. You guys ever saw that movie Goodfellas? Okay, so there's a scene where Ray Liotta he's, he goes to uh, Paul Giamatti, and he he just betrayed him. Um, he's like selling drugs on the on the backside, and he has to admit that he did this horrible thing. And then Paul Giamatti looks at him. He's like this father figure to him, and he looks at him, and he says, "All right, look," because he's asking him for money. Right? He says, "All right, here's a thousand dollars," and then he gives it to him, gives him this look. But now I've got to turn my back on you. Mm-hmm. And that he does, mm-hmm. and then he goes on. I mean, it's a, it's it's a different context. I know, but it's it's got it's kind of similar. You think it's like good representation for what parents feel like when their children commit? I can only speak off my personal experience. Yeah. From my personal experience, um, when one of my close family members was convicted of a very heinous crime, you know. Um, and we're going to get into a little bit of that uh, later on in the show. But when it happened to me, it's a, it's a very numbing feeling. Yeah. Because in the one time, it's, it's your family member, you know, it's your parent, it's your son, it's your daughter, it's, it's whoever. And uh, they've been convicted of something that you thought only monsters could do. Yeah. How do you think you would react, for example, if, say, you found out your father had done some terrible thing. That's it's the hard thing. Yeah, because it's, it's hard. your dad. He raised you from yeah. birth and he told you bedtime stories and he made you, uh, you know, bacon and eggs in the morning and fluffy pancakes and skiing trips. It's just or so whatever. hard to imagine, I guess. Yeah. Until but you're faced now, with it, you know, I remember being in the courtroom and having to give one of these mitigating statements during a sentencing and um, the judge hearing me, but then him very poignantly pointing to, um, the defendant and saying that, listen, you know, I heard your family and the very powerful statements of your family. And you know what? You got to own them to what you did yeah. because they're over here. having, But you over here, you're giving them a line of, of, of bullshit. You did this and they're over here defending you. But the, the reality is that you did this mm-hmm. psychologically. It's very difficult to cross into uh, that realm and accept that this person, your loved one, um, whom be is one of the foundations of who you are as a person did such a terrible thing. There's a self-reflection there. There is a, a detachment there. And you know, there is a feeling like you're just kind of lost. And so his mom, that's still his, her baby. Yeah. Regardless of what we think of him, regardless of what the victim's families think of him, that's still her son. And she has all of the memories that none of us could ever have you know, raising him from birth and whatever they went through in childhood and all their, you know, the good times and the bad, you know, but there were certainly the good times and she has all of those in her heart and she's trying to find a way to to reconcile all of those things with this terrible thing that he did. And to her, in her defense, she didn't say anything out of line. No, no, of course She not. just simply said that, oh, he was a good boy. He did a very terrible thing, mental illness, and she did all the things, you know, the Clarence Darrell stuff that we talked about earlier, which is what you're supposed to do. You can't, I, I don't blame her for doing that. Yeah. Um, I have a, you know, just a, a very different perspective, having gone through it personally and 
<coughs> having represented defendants myself, I never blame the families because they're going through something that you just can't imagine. Wouldn't it's even, hard to comprehend. Yeah. Unless you're in that position. You can't understand. Like we look at this guy on YouTube videos and we could say, you know, X, Y, or Z about him, you know, because yeah. we're objective. Oh yeah. It's dead. Well, we only have one camera for the rest of the show, and there's nothing we can do about it. This is how it is today. Um, but uh, <coughs> I forgot where I left off. What was I talking about? How we see him with in the yeah. a different perspective than oh, his yeah. mom will. We, yeah. we see these people, and you know, from from a distance, but living with them is different. Yeah, when it affects you know the foundational tenets of your of who you are as a person. I can't blame somebody for how they react and who the F am I to decide how somebody should react. So I give them a great deal of leeway for what they should do. Dale Brooks, he did what he did. He got his just uh, deserved punishment. And, you know, we could behave and, and think and say whatever we want about him. But his mom, his grandmother, you know, they're not victims in the same way as the families. No, they're not. But they are a victim in the sense that they had, like Judge Doro said, um, she said that my heart breaks for your mom. Yeah. For your grandmother, because... They're in that position. You, yeah. they had all of these great dreams of what you could become, and none of those things are going to happen. Nope. You are what you are, and you are where you belong. Matter of fact, um, I think we should watch some of the video of the sentencing um, when she had finally administers, there was actually an applause. This is a case that falls squarely on the need to protect the community. I referenced this earlier. There's really three primary reasons for the sentences I will impose here today. One is punishment. One is to protect the community. And the other is to provide justice and closure to the victims. Because under that category of need to protect, the court <coughs> does get to consider the impact of these crimes on the victims. I went through at length in reviewing all of those victim impact statements. I certainly didn't go through every single one, just highlighting some of them, but doing so with purpose because it is very clear to this court that Mr. Brooks has caused carnage, mayhem. It has resulted in many people suffering P from PTSD, from mental and emotional trauma that will take a lifetime to recover from, and for some, perhaps, if at all. You have taken away from these individuals future memories. They will never have birthdays. You are behind bars, 79 year old. Frankly, Mr. Brooks, no one is safe from you. This community can only be safe if you are behind bars for the rest of your life. He's holding up an objection. Oh my God. So it's the just her? Oh, and Daryl Brooks. He's in the other court. Oh, that's what it is. The community is not safe. I think this is the clip I saw when he started like fanning himself with the paper. Custody. You left a path of destruction, chaos, death, injury, confusion, and panic. 
as you drove seven or so blocks through the Christmas parade, never once stopping or seemingly caring about the wake of carnage that you left. Four of those blocks were turned into a scene that frankly is no different than a war zone. On counts one through six, this court is imposing a life sentence without the possibility or eligibility for extended supervision consecutive to one another. One life sentence for Virginia Sorensen. Mm. One life sentence for Leanna Owen. That's a life sentence for every victim. One life sentence for Tamara Durand. One life sentence for Jane Kulik. One life sentence for Bill Hospel. And one life sentence for Jackson Sparks. I've considered the enhancer and the additional five years that I could impose, but I don't need to really order that because I've not made him eligible for extended supervision and it would only be to increase his time on initial confinement. But make no mistake, Mr. Brooks, you use that vehicle as a battering ram, no different than frankly a firearm. On counts seven through 67, these are 61 counts of first degree recklessly endangering safety. These charges alone and these convictions without the enhancer carry a maximum of 12 and a half years. Because of the enhancer, a total of 17 and a half years. And under Wisconsin law, the five years is added to the initial term of confinement. So that was the sentencing. And, you know, it goes on for that for another time. She has to go through all 76 counts. Um, there wasn't any further applause because she asked for them not to applaud. But in sum, he got over a thousand years, six consecutive life sentences. Uh-huh. Um, if he were to do just not counting the life sentences, just on the enhancers that she was just talking about on the other charges, um, he would have to serve at least 500 years. Oh, my God to be eligible for parole, which he's not eligible for anyway, right? So, <clears throat> yeah, she buried him under the prison. And just, you know, for the simple satisfaction of it, this was him earlier today. What do you think the minimum sentence would have been if he was represented? You know? Oh, yeah, the minimum sentence is simple. It would have been a concurrent sentence, <coughs> a life sentence of, um, a basically would have been a life sentence where he would have been eligible for as they say, extended um, supervision basically means parole after 20 years. 20 years. So he could have got out at 60. Wow. Been on parole for however long it would be in, in Wisconsin. That would have been best case scenario for him. Best case scenario. Not a chance with the way that he was. No. But th- this was this was him earlier today. This is for the pre-hearing for his domestic violence case against his ex. Oh. Look at him in a wheelchair. Why is he? Oh, he's strapped. In this case, he has an attorney. Oh. He didn't want to represent himself in this case. It's because he got, he got a taste of what it means. Yeah. And that will, Is they, that they a will wheelchair? be in trial. Yes. Um, probably in a couple of months on that case. So with that, I think we should...
I'll close the book yes. on Mr. Dale Brooks, and I don't ever have to talk about him ever again. But somebody wants to, in which case I will. <laughs> but um, for all intents and purposes, uh, Mr. Brooks, he's done. He forever. Yeah, yeah. he's where he belongs. And uh, for all of the victims in that case, um, all the prayers in the world going out to them. And, um, you know, to Dale Brooks' family as well. Specifically his mother and his grandma who are elderly and, you know, dealing with a, a new reality of what happened, what became of their son, grandson. Let's talk a little bit about Sarah Boone, the uh, suitcase killer. Oh, yes. So, <laughs> all right. Sarah Boone is um, not the sharpest tool. No. To be fair, uh, neither was her victim in this case. So the story goes, let me just paint a little picture Back in July 2018, Sarah Boone is charged with battery by strangulation. She tried to strangle the victim that she killed in the suitcase. Well, okay. I say that she killed allegedly, right? Mm -hmm. um, the court documents show that she told investigators that she was dragged upstairs by the guy's name was Torres um, and kicked in the right eye after talking to a guy at the bar Torres at the time told investigators she tried to strangle him and that if he did not kick her off of him, she would have made him incapacitated. In the affidavit, deputies say they weren't able to tell who the primary aggressive was, so they're fighting with each other. Okay, you know, they're both. Typical stuff that we all see here in this office all the time, right? Um, Torres, after this incident in 2018, he was charged three times in 2019. He was arrested in 2019, um, where Sarah Boone accused him of punching her in the left ear. Uh, there was a restraining order taken off. So, I mean... They were both in a very volatile relationship. Multiple yeah. incidents, right? So they had no... Something was going to happen with these two. Yeah. Whether it was he killed her or she killed him or significantly injured the other, um, something bad was going to come of this relationship. But yet they were together. And um, that's how life goes sometimes. Mr. Torres, I believe, was a uh, well, she called him an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. She described to investigators about how he was uh, un out of control uh, alcoholic. When he would drink alcohol, he would do unsavory things. Um, I believe that she is also um, a recovering addict. If I don't if I, I I think I read that correctly, that she has some substance abuse issues herself, but they're together. And then she was trying to rehabilitate him or try to get him or try to change him, you know, but they're in the midst of this uh, domestic violence riddled relationship. So one night, you know, they got to drinking a bottle of wine. You know, I don't know if it was a red or a white. It doesn't really <laughs> matter. I'd imagine it was a, you know, $7 Staters Brothers uh, run of the mill generic brand, uh, blend a red blend. Let's the, call it the, a red blend. The easiest way to get drunk. Yeah. So, no you know, offense to Seder. <laughs> they were, uh, you know, having a bottle of wine and putting on the music and getting in the mood to play hide and seek, where uh, Mr. Torres unceremoniously decided to cl climb into a suitcase <laughs> and where Sarah Boone presumably locked him in. And um, in the course of doing that, the claustrophobia you must feel inside. Why would you climb into a suitcase? Yeah. Why would you do that? I mean, I get scared when I'm in like a closet and the door is closed. I can't imagine a suitcase. An elevator. In an elevator, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Video, okay. Oh, okay. So before I play this, yeah, this is the, this is the clip. Okay, so he climbs into a suitcase. She zips him up and um, 
decides not to let him out. And so they're playing, and it's like, it gets to the point where it's like, she, he's not playing anymore. It's like, okay, Sarah, I can't breathe. Let me out. And she's like, F you. I'm not letting you out. Well, what I think happened is she got, a, she had a little more than a bottle of wine that she said she was probably intoxicated. She blasted, yeah. She was probably 0.15 or above. And um, she doesn't, she didn't remember taking this video of her taunting Mr. Torres yeah. while in the suitcase. So she's being interrogated by the police. Anyway, to, to paint the picture, she locks him up in the suitcase. The next morning, well, she Jeez. decides to go to bed. She falls asleep, forgets falls about asleep. him. Yep. Forgets about him. Yeah. 11 hours later or something like that, she wakes up in the morning. Oh, shit, I left him in the suitcase. <sighs> Opens the suitcase and the guy is dead. And so not knowing what to do, she contacts law enforcement. They go and they interrogate her and she's freaking out. And she gives them, here, look through my cell phone. I don't know. I have nothing to hide. Forgetting that she took the following video. Oh, my God. That is the suitcase. Mr. Torres is in there right now. For everything you've done to me. For everything you've done to me. Oh, she is slurring her words. Mm -hmm. Fuck you. She flipped over the suitcase, and so the opening is, he's on it, so it's impossible for him to get out anyway. That's my name. Don't wear it up. (laughs) She sounds so drunk. She sounds gone. I can't fucking breathe, babe. Seriously. Yeah, that's when you do when you choke me. So she's taking this video super intoxicated. She forgot she recorded it. She must have. Why would you record something like that? No, I don't know. It's on you. Real around them. I want to get video. What is he even saying? She's so far yeah. gone. She can hear. She's totally <laughs> plastered in that video. Real around So I'm assuming he's drunk as well. I assume, but he also can't breathe. And he's yeah. like, hey, Sarah. Yeah. He's probably sobering up right now, honestly. Yeah. Oh. That's what Sarah. I feel like when you chewing on me. Sarah. Fuck you. Yeah. You should probably shut the fuck up. My God. This sounds like a South Park episode. Not to make light of it, but (laughs) Jesus Christ with this one. It doesn't sound real. It doesn't sound real. No. And so she's interrogated by the police. And then, um, you know, they're like, hey. Okay, I saw that one. Yeah. This was the entire interrogation video, but this is where they're confronting her with the footage of... Uh, so she didn't remember she took the footage. Well, she doesn't admit to that. She didn't say that in the interrogation, but mm-hmm. I suspect uh, that she, yeah, she forgot. Um, do I think that she intended to kill that guy? No, I don't. Um, I think she... You think it was an accident? You saw. You heard how drunk she was. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think she had intent either. Well, that begs the question. So she wasn't charged with first degree murder. She's being charged with second degree murder. So there's different. Yeah. 
in the most generic of terms, you know, when you're in law school, they teach you what first degree murder is, you know, mal- a murder um, with malice aforethought, meaning you planned and schemed to murder somebody. Second degree murder is you didn't plan or scheme, but you found the opportunity and you decided to intend to kill this person, okay. right? There's another crime, which would be a lesser included of second degree murder, which would be a negligent homicide, which is I didn't mean to kill him. I didn't plan to kill him. And she says uh, a million times in this interrogation, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't intentional over and over and over again, which is suggests I really didn't think it was going to die, but I just didn't let him out of the suitcase. And they're like, well, what did you think was going to happen? Well, I didn't think he was going to die. That's a negligent homicide where by your stupidity, you killed a person. You killed a person. Yeah, yeah it's still someone. murder, but it's not necessarily second degree. You might, I mean, some might call it third degree Where murder. does manslaughter fall into this? Manslaughter is manslaughter. It's it's basically the same, but there's first degree, there's second degree manslaughter. Oh, okay, when you think okay. of manslaughter, just think of murder. Okay. And so in this case, she's being charged with second degree. My prediction for this case, if I was her defense attorney, is my client is not the sharpest, you know? I mean, she had no <laughs> intention. I mean, she speaks in her interrogation videos of trying to um, help and rehabilitate him. And, and you know, they had a relationship and it was a quirky relationship to yeah, say the know. least. <laughs> but did she intend? Did she think by stuffing him in a suitcase that he was going to die? No, I don't think she did. Is she the brightest? No, she's not the no. brightest. Is she guilty of causing his death? 100%. Absolutely. But did she ever form the intent to purposely kill him? No, I just think she's an idiot. She was just That's dumb exactly and drunk. What I'm, that, yeah. that, is, that should be the defense. That is her defense. If she gets charged with second degree, um, I believe that she still technically could face a life sentence in that case. Mm. Um, my prediction for this trial, and it's probably a couple of months out, um, is that she's going to end up something with uh, involuntary manslaughter, some kind of negligent homicide. Who knows? But we're going to be diving into that case when the trial comes about <laughs> for the, um, you know, a lot of people are interested in it. Um, the and way it he was, died uh, is just very traumatic. Who plays hide and seek? No, yeah. I wonder if they're really actually playing hide I and seek. I don't know. Or if uh, they're just- It was just somebody's idea. Like, hey, see if you can fit in that suitcase. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just so bizarre sounding. Yeah. <clears throat> um, by the way, we've been going for uh, an hour and nine minutes. I did want to bring up a hypothetical that was brought about by one of our, and she's a mother. Uh, I believe she's from Wichita, Kansas. And she- uh, her son found himself in a situation, and this is what she said to us. Um, her son pled to a charge of uh, aggravated sexual battery of a minor with exploitation of a minor. He was charged along with his best friend at the time. My son was 18 at the time, and this girl was 17. Um, her son's friend recorded her son under the covers with this girl and posted it on Snapchat. Oof. Doesn't sound good. <laughs> this girl had a foursome with her son's friend and three of his friends only two days prior before my son met her. She also had claimed that the father of her baby raped her as well. Her rape kit came back positive for meth as well as other drugs and alcohol. This girl was told not to o- come over by uh, her friend that night. The night that this happened, she and her friends showed up anyway. They brought vodka and dab pens and shared with everyone at the house. The boys did not give these girls any alcohol or drugs. She said she was too messed up to give consent. Dave, we actually had a case that we've talked about 
on this show before exactly like this. Uh, David did realize this and he immediately stopped. Uh, but unfortunately the recording had already been done by his friend. The boys literally had to kick these girls out the next morning. I believe if his friend had not recorded and posted the encounter on social media, she would never have made any accusations. I fully agree with her on being upset. Uh, this is repulsive on uh, her son's friend's part. My son had nothing to do with that. As far as I'm concerned, my son is as much of a victim. None of her actions that night could be brought up in court because there is a law that rape victims, uh, rape victims past cannot be looked at. Um, that's sort of true, not altogether true. Uh, that's a lot. If this, that's a lot. If this in a nut, oh, I guess that's that's it. Typo. Um, you have the outline. So okay, that 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 is the hypothetical. So okay. my opinions. She brought number one. This case involves a minor. Yes. She can't legally consent anyway. Um, number two, there's uh, narcotics involved, uh, which brings up a different kind of charge. But this aggravated sexual assault or battery by means of intoxication. Um, and I have no idea about any of the other facts in that case, but there's multiple um, issues that would have had to been dealt with at trial. I think that her question really stems from, had it simply not been posted, this would have all got swept under the rug. She wouldn't have really cared. People probably called her out on it and she had to defend herself to people that saw it. Her friends, family, who knows is on even who even is on Snapchat. But um, to her point that there's a law that you can't use a victim's past against her. That's not exactly true. Matter of fact, if she made false rape allegations against uh, the father of her child in the past, that's highly relevant and would have come out at trial um, in a case such as this, where part of the defense would be that she's. Um, making false allegations against the defendant in this case. It would have been relevant to suggest, not for her sexual past, but that she's made these allegations in the past that were found not to be true. Now, I don't know to the extent, because all we got was literally what I read you in the hypothetical, but let's just assume, for hypothetical sake, that there were charges brought against a young man that happens to be the father of her child for sexual assault, and the case was dismissed upon a finding uh, that the story that she told was not credible. That evidence is coming in. We're bringing in the cops that's, that did the investigation, that did the interview. We're bringing in evidence of that rape kit to show that there was no evidence or, or lack of physical evidence thereof. But we're bringing it in because she has a tendency to make up these kinds of things. The, the thing about bringing up a victim's past is you're, you're not allowed to say that, oh, she's a whore. She slept with a thousand people before, so obviously she she was consenting this time. That's not a viable defense. You're not allowed to say that. We take this on a case, by the way, that used to be a thing way back in the day. There's a whole body of law involving sexual assault where that was the main defense used against wow. young ladies bringing those claims. Um, I didn't consent. You know, he raped me. No, she's a whore. She's done it. She did it with me. She did it with my brother. She did it with my cousin. She did it with her friends. And, you know, that was the main defense back in the day. You know, <laughs> it used to be the case around the nation that you could not legally rape your spouse. Yes. I think it's still the case in certain <coughs> jurisdictions. In states, I think yeah. you're right. In some cases, in some states, it is still the case that, but um, 
In California, it's certainly not the no. case. Uh, you're allowed to be sexually assaulted, or you can claim a sexual assault of your spouse, and it happens more often than you'd believe. Um, but yeah, that's what she's that's what she's talking about as far as the past of a victim can't be used against them. What do you guys think from your non-attorney perspective? Well, again, I'm not an attorney. I don't have any experience. Disclaimer, everybody. Disclaimer. Okay, <laughs> so if I don't sound knowledgeable, it's because I'm not. Um, but the first thing that came to my head when I heard of the situation was that she was 17. I'm like, ah, mm. that seems like a bad thing. And then the second thing was the recording, which was posted on social media, which seems super bad considering that she's underage. Um, but that that's that's kind of what I, I first imagined and pictured to be the the most important part of this. Oh, yeah. So ignore the underage part of it. Let's talk specifically about false allegations of rape. Okay. So it's it's her claiming she was raped by somebody, right? Well, here's a scenario. And you know what? I, I had a, I, I wanted to bring on a licensed psychologist to talk about this very issue. Um, and she talks to me about it and I got her perspective from it. And then she basically stated that, you know, there's two different types of um, false allegations. One is false memories, mm -hmm. you know, to deal with some kind of uh, traumatic incident that happened in the past. You're making up these memories to try to deal with, you know, missing links or why bad things happen or whatnot. And then they're just simply you feel guilt or shame. And so you deflect that in your own internal um, self. Um, and just say that, oh, I did it against my will. It wasn't me. It wasn't my actions. I was forced to do this thing. And victims that take that approach, oftentimes they don't start out, you know, in the moment, you know, in the moment they're consenting. But if they form a different opinion because of the ridicule that they're experiencing because oh. of the experience, um, then they adopt that, oh, no. I, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to say no, but I didn't feel like I could because I was so intimidated. You know, he's a big guy or whatever. And then they might not even believe that in the moment, but over time that uh, thought takes hold and they truly do believe that that's what happened, that they were raped. So she didn't want to come on the show because she's still a practicing psychologist and she had runs a very successful um, business where she didn't want people coming to her thinking that, you know, they're not safe to say, you know, bring up allegations of rape to her, which is fair. Um, but what do you girls think about the situation? Okay, so you guys have friends um, and uh, they are caught up in a sexual incident that they're not proud of. Do you guys have any experience with false allegations of sexual assault? Yes, unfortunately. Explain. I can't say names. Well, I'm going to keep people's <laughs> identity confidential All in this, this matter. But unfortunately, is, yeah. yes. But I, I I, had, I went to a party. I remember it was last year and this girl got so heavily wasted. But when I say wasted, she was speaking gibberish or gibberish. So yeah. point it out. Um, around 11 or 12, well, yeah, she was wasted. And then she was like leaning onto this guy that was like not touching her, not kissing her. They were not dating. They were not partners. They were not friends. Like she just like had to think for him. I don't know. Like fast forward to like maybe midnight or 11 PM. She's like, I'm gonna change into my PJs. And then she pops into the bathroom and comes out wearing only a t-shirt and her Pretty little butt cheeks were like flaunting around. Everybody saw her. This is on camera, which is like the worst part of it. She 
jumps on top of this guy and he's like, please like step away, let me go. And, and she's just like kissing him and laughing and stuff like that. The music was loud. We were all like laughing around it. Like he didn't even make a big deal of it. He's like, I know she's drunk. It's fine. Fast forward. He he's like, you know what? I'm going to go to bed. He was spending the night at the house where we were at. I'm going to go to bed. He goes into a room and the camera follows him. And then it follows the girl that goes directly behind him. That's where we don't see anything else. And what he claims happened after that is like he was sleeping and she jumped on top of him and started touching him and he touched her breast and he touched her, her butt cheeks. But that was it. That's all that happened. And then they went to sleep and then she went out of the room. So then she started claiming. She claims that that happened because mm-hmm. I remember the next day she said she remembers that that happened, but that she was too drunk to do something about it. Okay. Three days later, she started saying that he sexually abused her. Everybody was like, and wait. that's how easily... That's how easily somebody could catch a case. So is it like false memories because of her drinking? Is it false memories or is it because she just made a fool of herself in front of all uh, of these people? Exactly. So that's what everybody thought. Everybody who had a chance to speak with her were like, hey, we were there. (laughs) We all saw you. No, 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 no. I was drunk. Mm. Automatically, if somebody is drunk, wasted, if you touch me or if you're like on top of somebody that's drunk or even you permit to put a hand on, that, that's assault. Mm. That's abuse. So everybody was like. And in, 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 in the meantime, this young man is at threat of catching a, a, a rape charge, a sexual assault charge that would have the result. I mean, did this happen in America or, Port, or, no. or Columbia? What happened here? So he's facing a case over here now because this young lady is um, ashamed of her actions. Luckily, there was a lot of witnesses in that case that would be able to testify. And, you know, I see, you know, when I first became an attorney, um, one of uh, the most heinous crimes I believed you could meet was was one of sexual assault, forcing uh, a lady to uh, of any age to commit sexual acts that she didn't want to commit. And, you know, much worse to do it through means of violence, right? Um, But the more I I can't, because I started in criminal law, you know, that used to be exclusively what I would do. Um, I cannot tell you the amount of fishy cases that I would get about these sexual assaults that didn't look much like sexual assaults. They were much more often what you would describe. People messing around at a party, people drinking drinking a little bit too much, feeling a little ashamed. I mean, I think everybody has had that moment where they are so intoxicated and they do a lot of stupid things. Yep. And you wake up, it's like, what in the hell did I just do? Oh, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. You know, now you throw um, sex into it and, you know, that's where you get false claims of sexual assaults. And too often, it's in those situations involving alcohol. And it could occur in a couple of different ways. Either I was forcibly sexually assaulted or I had no ability to consent because I was too drunk, even though I was throwing myself on top of the guy. And the standard in most of those cases, especially in these intoxication cases, is would a reasonable person have understood that this person was too intoxicated uh, to uh, give consent to engage in sexual activity? And if the answer is yes or no, then the question becomes, well, how intoxicated was he? Because it's a party. Everybody's drinking, you know? So his 
judgment might be compromised. And now it's a question of, okay, so she's throwing himself on top of him and he's kind of halfway there. He's intoxicated himself. Could he even give consent? Yeah. We've had those cases before. So it's, it's sexual assault cases are not as uh, simple as you might want to believe. There's always the easy cases and the easy cases are somebody beats the shit out of some girl or some guy and they forcibly rape them and there's injuries and it's obvious, right? But there is this gray line where we have, you know, um, you know, the Me Too movement was a huge thing as of recent and you got people accusing uh, Morgan Freeman of uh, sexual misconduct on the set of a movie and um, I got to find that video. Matter of fact, I'm going to find that video. Who else was that prominent figure? Um, Harvey? Was that, was that one? Harvey Weinstein? Oh. Harvey Weinstein. No, that guy was a creep. Oh. He was justifiably <laughs> accused and convicted of, uh, you know, what he did to people was, on were, his casting couch. There were but numerous. I got to show, I gotta show you this one. Not only um, that, he was linked. But get a load of this video from CNN. This is from four years ago. This is at the height of the Me Too movement where women felt empowered to start bringing up stories of sexual, what they believe was uh, sexual assault allegations. Get a load of this uncovered a pattern of alleged inappropriate behavior by legendary actor Morgan Freeman, both on set and at his production company, Revelations Entertainment. That's what his production company is called. Joining me now, CNN's Chloe Malas and Ann Funk. They broke the story. He made me up and down. I was... This is the lady, the lady on the right. This is the lady that is making the accusation. They're going to play a video clip of what she is, is calling sexual allegation against the legendary... Morgan Freeman. Months pregnant at the time, and his co-stars, Alan Arkin and Michael Caine, were seated on either side of him and actually looked at him when he made this comment to me. Again, it was caught on tape. And take a, take a note of Freeman's eyes in this clip. One time I, I congratulated the woman on being pregnant, and she wasn't. Um, and so I've never done it again. CNN For 50 years, I've never done it. You've learned your lesson. I learned my lesson. Um, this, Lord, do I wish I was there. Uh, this movie is, as you see, that was quick right that there, but it. there were other comments what? made to me by <laughs> Freeman before. You know what? I think, I, I feel like she's look, look, looking at the video for the first time, and she's like, hey, that's not as, that's not as bad as what I just no. said. And so she's saying, really cool, but there was other comments that he made that were not of it, which I'm, I'm so sure, but I don't even think he's referencing her no, in that comment. Not. Let's play it again. Let's play it again. He's referencing to the, what Michael Caine said. Michael Caine is telling a story. He's yeah. like, man, I wish I was yeah. there. He ain't even talking about her. Take a listen, note of Freeman's eyes again. in this clip. I'm looking in his eyes. One time I, I congratulated the woman on being pregnant, and she wasn't. Um, and so I've never done it again. CNN For 50 years, I've never done it. You've learned your lesson. I learned my lesson. Um, this, Lord, do I wish I was there. Uh, this movie is... As you see, that was quick right there, but there were other comments made to me by Freeman before. No, I don't see. That just pisses, I don't see. pisses me I don't off see. because it puts such a bad... I'm going to get canceled by this, <laughs> and I don't care, but honestly, I believe the Me Too movement has been, like, dragged out of what it well, really is it's been about. Destructive. It's been destructive in that it's empowered a lot of false stories about... And, and honestly, it's done a disservice to women that are genuinely yeah, victims to like the of original assault. movement. You know? Let's just point out that one of the faces of the Me Too movement is no other than Amber Heard. Let's just take that out of the picture. I mean, 
I don't got time to get enamored right now. Yeah. Don't get me started on that one. All I'm going to say is uh, this, this, you know, Morgan Freeman, legendary actor, legendary voice, you know, has built up a whole legacy of, you know, being this person, being Morgan Freeman. And here comes this, this, this reporter saying, as she's asking a question on camera that he was looking me up and down and he made a, an unsavory comment. We get it on video and we're looking at it and like, it's what just, happened? What did I miss? It what just did makes I miss? everything else look bad. Like it doesn't, it makes the whole movement seem not serious, you know? Yeah. Getting back to, um, getting back to our listener, you know, who um, spurred this discussion about this hypothetical. Um, if I was the defense attorney in her son's case, I would not have taken a plea deal on that on that charge. If, 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 if it went down the way that she said, and I've said many times that, you know, oftentimes she, um, oftentimes we believe that the facts are different than when they actually are. So without, if all I'm doing is taking her story as, you know, the absolute truth and it was exactly how she said, um, I would have taken that case to trial. The problem is I don't know what the DA had in evidence. I didn't see the video, obviously. Um, I don't, you know, know what they were going off of. I don't know what the statements of the young lady was. I don't know if they found DNA on her from the young man. I have no idea, but based on what she said, I take that case to trial and I try to spare my client um, from getting a charge of sexual assault on the belief that he didn't actually commit an act of sexual assault. And they, they were under the covers. I don't know what was going on in the covers, but it was broadcast on Snapchat. I don't know. They charged him with something. He pled to it based on what he was told. I'm assuming he must have had public defenders. He's had, he probably had some discussions with his, with his attorneys, but before one of my clients pleads to a sexual assault, and you know what? I had a case um, almost exactly, um, the almost the exact fa- fact pattern as uh, what our listener had. Uh, the only difference was there were no friends involved. This was a, a young lady that was drunk at a party. Uh, she goes home with these, this young man, um, and uh, they engage in sexual conduct. He drops her off at a gas station for whatever reason. And um, a couple of hours later, she's confronted by her sister. And then all of a sudden, what was in my client's eyes, a, a consensual sexual act turns into a sexual assault and he's arrested the next day at his parents' house. And, you know, so begins the whole case. Um, come to find out in that case that there was a lot of extenuating evidence that I did not have access to at the time. And as the evidence started to come out, it was, it was the, the case that the DA was building was stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And he ended up um, taking a plea deal um, on those very charges. That would allow, well, he's probably out of prison now, but he, I think he ended up pleading to a couple of years. Um, so these cases are difficult. And oftentimes, if you're the family member of somebody accused of such a thing, you are not going to be privy to all of the things that the attorneys know. Yeah. And you're not going to be privy to all of those things unless the case actually goes to trial. And um, I've dealt specifically with sexual assault cases in my family before. And um, I was, you know, privy to a lot of the stuff because of the investigation that I was involved in, you know, being part of the defense team. But, you know, if you're going to take that thing to trial, all of those things are going to come out. And oftentimes people take plea deals because they don't want the sensitive details to come out to spare the embarrassment to the families of not only the victim, but more specifically the families of the defendants. So it's, it's tough. It's tough. There is a world out there that fosters these false allegations of sexual assault. But there is a very more real world out there where there are genuine cases of sexual assault that occur 
on a daily basis. It's a very fine line, I feel. Imagine, you guys yeah. are not attorneys, but I'm going to put you in a prosecutor's shoe. The, the prosecutor's shoes. So this young lady, Melissa, that you just described at that party, they come to you and they tell you that they were sexually assaulted. You're hired to represent and protect the people of the state of California, right? What do you tell this young lady upon the story that she was sexually assaulted at a party and that she was being fed alcohol and she was too intoxicated to consent and people were taking advantage of her? And not only is it her coming into her, she's probably coming into there with into your office with um, her sister, her mom, her grandmother, her dad, and all of these people are looking on, at, looking to you to deliver them justice as if this really happened to her and you were not there at the party. What do you tell her? How do you represent her? First thing I would ask her is, do you have any proof of what you're claiming? That would be the first thing I would ask her. Yeah, and you would just, but just assume... Right. You have any of the proof and assume that what she's going to tell you is, of course, I have proof. There was witnesses there. Right. Maybe there's video. Maybe there's not. But let's assume there's no video. Let's assume that her friends are going to come in and tell you, oh, yeah, I definitely saw all of the things that they're saying. And they're going to back her up because that's her friend. And now this young man is also going to have his own witnesses and they're going to give a conflicting account. That's not what happened at all. She was doing all this other stuff. Right. As the prosecutor, how do you handle that? You're not going to have smoking gun evidence. You're not going to have video footage showing exactly what happened that night. You're going to have her story and you're going to have the defendant's story. Your job is to take that case to trial and to try it as if what she is saying is true. The job of the defense attorney is to take that to trial and prove that the opposite is true. Good versus, good versus evil, right? Both sides believe that they're good. How do you handle that? How do you take on that case knowing that if you win and you're a good enough attorney that this young man is going to go to prison and be labeled a sex offender for the rest of his life even though he may, he may not have actually done it? There's always that possibility. How do you handle it? It's harder to actually give a general perspective due to the fact that I know both of them, but let's point out that I don't. Let's just be in that perspective just for now. with the hypothetical. First thing I would do, of course, I would ask for the name of the person, birth date, and I would, me as a DA, would run like a background check of this person. Yeah, but. That would be the first thing I would do. Let's assume that all the discovery is done, right? You cannot disprove what she's saying. It's not your job to disprove what she's saying. No. You cannot, I mean, you can't, you feel like you could maybe prove what she's saying beyond a reasonable doubt, but there's a chance that what she's saying may not be true. Nobody's going to give you the answer. You don't get to have the smoking gun evidence. You got to make the call. Are you taking a trial or not? Your boss just told you that you're going to prosecute this case. You're taking a trial. We're not dismissing these charges. We cannot possibly because of the nature of the crime. We can't. And you know what? Let's throw in a kicker. Let's say this guy's got a rap sheet. Let's just say like, you know, three years ago he got busted for uh, being in position, possession of crack cocaine because he was experimental because he was in college and, you know, he's messing around. And now he's got a criminal record that you're going to use as an enhancer to um, tell the jury that he deserves to be prosecuted more harshly. In this case, I would have to take, of course, my, my client in this case, which is the abused victim, I will take her um, testimony as sufficient proof enough to put this guy through. You're going to try to prove. You're going to try to win your case, right? Of course, I will. Yeah. Knowing in the back of your head that it could be a possibility, be innocent, right? But it's not. What about true. you, Justin? How do you approach it? 
the same way. I mean, in good faith of my, of, you know, the proposed client who's the victim in this case, you would do what you believe they're telling you the truth, right? Because you just have to. So in the same way as a defense attorney, I have to not knowing all the facts and yeah. nobody's going to give me the benefit of having a clear video of exactly what occurred that yeah. night. That's going to tell the whole story. I have to argue my client's case based on his word mm-hmm. and the credibility of our witnesses. Yep. And that's the reality. You know, I might be right or wrong. I don't know. I'm not perfect. You know, my analysis of the case, I believe he might be not guilty. Is it possible he did it? Yeah, it is. But it's, this is what we ask the jury to do. They're yep. the ones that get to decide guilt or innocence. I get to argue a case. And at the end of the day, if I'm right or wrong, I'm still going home. I'm going to take the next one. Right. Yep. But the defendant is the one who has freedom on the, on the line. And in a case like that, that's the true job of a defense attorney. These people that are being falsely accused or are possibly falsely accused. It's these, these wobbler cases where they may or may not be guilty and, and you asked me how I could defend such a person. I mean, look, there's people out there that do horrible things and we know that they do horrible things. Those yep. are the easy cases. I've had some of those. But then there's these other ones where if he did what he's accused of, he's a horrible person. But he has a credible story that he might not have done it. And that is why lawyers have the highest instances <laughs> of substance abuse of any profession. And mental illness. Out yep. there and mental illness. It's 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 a tough job. It's like morality, juggling with your actual, you know, responsibility as yeah. a lawyer. And the same Disneyland. You don't get to yeah. have a clear perspective of who who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. And in Disneyland, it's like, oh, there's obviously a dragon right there, and there's obviously a guy dressed like a prince, and there's yeah. obviously a princess. It's it's not so clear no, it's when like, it comes to and it's lawyering. Ph- philosophical because you'll never know. If you, what you did was right or wrong, you know, it's just something you have to do. You have to have the belief in your client regardless. And that's same the thing that happens with medical professionals. Like sometimes a person lying in their bed is an assassin. Yeah. But you yeah. have to treat yeah. the person as a regular patient. Mm-hmm. Same thing attorneys do. And keep in mind that assassin or that assaulter or whoever the person is, the person that's even if it's a doctor and a lawyer, that professional also has a family. Mm-hmm. We, we do this kind of jobs because it's their passion, because we like it. We also do it to support ourselves. And that's something that a lot of people don't think about. They just think that that these kind of professionals are like, I don't know, like, like praise people. I don't know, that need nothing. Yeah. Well, from the hypothetical given to us by our client, or by our client, by, by our listener. Already thinking of that. Yes. Um, what I will say is there is, it's not just limited to sexual assault. There are cases like that up and down, you know, where people lie to people all the time because they feel ashamed of something that they got caught doing. But specifically for sexual assault, it's it's especially heinous because of what's at stake. You ruin somebody's life. They're going to be labeled as a sex offender if you're lying for the rest of their lives, their freedom and everything else their reputation is on the line and we've empowered women to bring these claims. But at the same time with a lot, with all of the good that that has done, there's a lot of bad that you have to contend with. And so the job of the attorneys is supposed to be get to the bottom of it. And when you take a plea deal, you take the job out of the attorney's hands. I don't get to present evidence if you're just going to say that you're guilty, but that's a decision that the defendant has to make and they have to do it knowingly and intelligently 
And if they don't, then the court cannot accept their plea. And um, we have to live with the results. So it's a, there's not a clear cut resolution to uh, this issue. I can't, we're never going to find a way to stop false allegations of sexual assault. And I'm not even saying that what happened to this young lady is a false allegation of sexual assault. I have no, I have have no idea. idea. But assuming that it was just assuming the hypothetical of what our listener said is true. um, You're never going to have a perfect system for reporting crimes. You're just not. You know what this reminds me of the not all men idea you know, there are women that are scared of men for a variety of reasons. And they're like, well, you shouldn't be. It's not all of us that are like that. But it's like, that's the reality a lot of women have to deal with anyways. Yes. It's just like, there's always that risk. Same way with there's always the risk of if you engage in those, you know, behaviors of drinking and, and becoming, you know, sexually involved with someone you're not really, you don't really know. There's always a risk. And it's just something that's always going to be at stake, especially when you're a lawyer and you're representing the client that states what you have to believe is true. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, ladies, we've gone for, um, an hour and 45 minutes. I think it's time (laughs) to wrap up the show. Yeah. Um, I think we had a very successful episode 18, uh, to all of our loyal listeners out there. And we do have a growing audience and you know what? We're going to keep on getting bigger. I have a big things planned for this show. If there's topics that you want us to cover, matter of fact, the topics that we covered on the show today, specifically the Daryl Brooks sentencing, the Sarah Boone case, and this hypothetical came directly from our subscribers. If there's something that you want us to cover, then by all means, contact us, leave a a comment down below, and we will make sure that we cover your topic. Um, And as always, you could find us. We, we air our shows every Friday afternoon. We have the podcast on whatever podcast you listen to, um, Apple podcasts, Spotify, um, whatever the ones, all the big ones, we're all, we're, we're on all the major platforms. Um, thank you for being our listener. And I hope that you, uh, find it in your heart to stick with us uh, for the long term because I have some big plans for this show and um, what we're going to start uh, taking on. There's a lot of big cases coming out there that we want to cover. Mm-hmm. There's specifically, um, you know, there's the Sarah Boone case. There's a lot of other ones too uh, that we want to cover. And if there's anything specifically you want us to cover, by all means, let us know. And with that, uh, thank you all for living. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Twisted tongue. I can never talk at the end of shows, man. I get so exhausted doing these things. Um, with that, um, thank you all for listening, and we will see you all next week. And we love you all, and bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. That's a wrap. Bye. Thank you all for listening to the entire podcast. We really do appreciate that. And as always, you can find us on YouTube on the Tilted Lawyer Podcast YouTube channel or on your podcast carrier of choice. If you feel we've presented anything of value, please leave a five-star rating, like, and subscribe. We always appreciate that kind of thing. And we do look forward to seeing you all again live every Thursday at 3 in the afternoon. We love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.